2: You need a sportsbook with integrity and longevity like BetUS. You may already know this, but BetUS has been pioneers in the sportsbook industry for almost three decades, thriving and paying their loyal customer base. That is BetUS.com. They have loads of bonuses. Join now or call 800-69-BETUS. That is And you will receive a 125% sign-up bonus by using the bonus code 5. That's the word 5. Five F I V E. They also have re up and referral bonuses as well. Follow my lead and open an account with BetUS. You bet, you win, you get paid. BetUS. This show is brought to you by Prize Picks. Prize Picks is a revolutionary new daily fantasy game whereby you pick two, three, or four players to go over or under their fantasy point projections, and if you're correct, you win. Pick two or more players from the same sport or league or go cross leagues for your parlay. Use the promo code FIVE, that's F-I-V-E, FIVE, and receive a 100% instant deposit match up to $100. But first, sign up at prizepicks.com to start winning today. This show is brought to you by Lewis Peters State Farm, agency representing the number one auto and home insurer in the United States for more than 60 years combined experience in the insurance industry. Local agents that understand South Florida's unique market you have access to them 24 7, walk in, call in, click in through lewispeters.com. You can find them online on social media at sfagentpeters or you can call at 305 275 5585. Remember, lewispeters.com.
1: Welcome to Three Yards Per Caddy, a podcast covering the Miami Dolphins and the NFL. Now, here's your hosts, Chris, Alf, and Simon.
2: And we're on, and welcome to another edition of Three Yards to Carry. I'm Alfredo Arteaga. Simon Clancy is here. Chris Kaufman is not. He returns on Monday. Um, it's too difficult to explain all the things that he's he has working today, so he's not going to be able to be with us. But Simon Clancy is here, and so am I. Hello, Simon. It's been a while. <coughs>
1: Hello Alf. Uh has it?
2: Yeah, it has. Uh, we didn't do a show last week, did we? Or we did one on Monday? Um, I don't remember I the last time we did a show.
1: Dude, I can not remember?
2: Yeah. But yeah, the uh, team is in the in the midst of a of a playoff run and it's and it's getting uh, it's getting closer. Uh everybody keeps asking me like what do they have to do to make the playoffs? It's it's getting clear by the day. If they win out they're pretty much in. New York Times has them at 94%. 94% is pretty good. <laughs> Last time I checked. Okay. Uh, the only thing is everything around them is a little bit different. Okay. And uh, what's helping them is the better teams are playing everybody that's in front of us. For example, the Kansas City Chiefs. Nobody's playing better better football than the, than the Kansas City Chiefs. And if you look at their schedule coming up, they play the Chargers, the Steelers, the Bengals, and the Broncos in, in a row. Like, that's pretty good. That's everybody that's in front of us by one game. So they get to bring them back down to us as we, you know, elevate toward them. So your thoughts on this this entire chase, Simon?
1: I mean, <clears throat> excuse me. I, I I don't think Miami will win all four games. So, um I think you can toss out that ninety, whatever it was that you said percent chance. I don't think the Dolphins are going four and zero over the next four games. Um, so I think you're reliant on other teams. <clears throat> I don't think the Dolphins will make the playoffs. I didn't make, think they made the playoffs at the start of the season. Obviously, certainly didn't think they were going to make the playoffs halfway through, and I don't think they'll make the playoffs now. Uh, too many stupid losses, too many bad performances. I think specifically at Jacksonville, Atlanta. I mean, the Raiders wasn't a bad form performance, but it's a game they should have won. Um, and I think that's ultimately what will keep them out of the playoffs. So, but I, I don't think they'll, I don't think they'll go uh, 4-0. Uh, and And uh, realistically, yeah. I don't think they'll go 9-0 and on that entire run. Um
2: It'll be historic if they pull it off. <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, I, I don't think they will. They're not good. I just don't think they're good enough. I don't think they're good enough to go to Tennessee and run the ball in the cold at Tennessee. Um, and New England's going to be, a, you know, New England will be playing probably for home field advantage. Um and that's a good team. New England can be got at, but they can be got at in the things that we don't do very well. Run the ball. Um, So, and they are, you know, their game is much more advanced than it was in week one. Um, You know, they've hit their strides, certainly with the running game and, and with what Jones can do. And, you know, Matthew Judon is one of the best pass rushers in the NFL. And, you know, that would be a, that would be an issue, Um, I think. So we'll see. But, I, you know, I think everybody's sort of talking about, yeah, the Dolphins control their own... Well, they do, but, you know, <clears throat> there's a difference between controlling your own destiny and playing four really shocking teams to get into the playoffs. I don't think that's the case. You know, um, three of the four teams are fighting for their playoff lives. Um, you know, New Orleans, certainly. Tennessee obviously want to try and battle for home field and to win the division. And New England, uh, you know, they're in the box seat for home field advantage. So, um, so yeah, it'll be tough.
2: Yeah, the great thing about it is, is is that, you know, the old cliche, one game at a time, it really is one game at a time. Um, I don't believe they'll lose to New Orleans. I think that team is kind of, it's teetering on implosion. And, you know, they're kind of set up for, for the Dolphins, especially since their quarterback is Taysom Hill. Okay. But, you know, that game against Tennessee in Tennessee is a rough one. That's, that's where... That's the game. That's the season right there. They win that one, start believing. Because then you have a team that's on an eight-game winning streak coming back home to play a team that might not even have anything to play for in New England. Although New England has an extremely tough stretch right here. They play the Colts, and then they play the Bills again. And I'm I'm still of the belief that the Bills are just, you know, they, they've had a, a string of bad luck. That game against New England, I don't know what your thoughts were but that was just odd how you get defeated by a team that runs the ball three times and runs it 47 times and only runs it effectively in the first, in the first half, because you can't throw the ball because the wind is 50 miles an hour. So you can barely throw the ball. And then when you have opportunities down the stretch, the bills just flat out blew it. So I don't know what your thoughts were on that game. Uh, you know, I was extremely impressed by the, the new England defense, but you know, Should I have been Uh, the wind at fifty miles an hour? Like, I don't care how strong-armed you are. No, Josh Allen. No, Josh Allen. Nobody can throw in that in that
1: weather. You've got to play to circumstance, and they were just outcoached. I mean, yeah, it's a home game. They can't run the ball. You know, they've not been able to run the ball for three seasons. You know, they they have. I think they have five one hundred yard games in the last three years, and three of those were by. Uh, Josh Allen and the other two, I think, were for 109 and 106 yards. So, you know, neither Singletary or Zach Moss can get it done on the ground. So they were just out coached. Um, you know, in a 50 mile an hour wind, you should just be able to, you know, run the ball, especially, you know, and then throw it when you can when you've got the wind behind you. Um, the fact that Mac Jones only threw three passes was neither here nor there because they were able to run the ball down the throats of Buffalo and, and and beat them in in their own backyard, which should never have happened. You know the Bills should have absolutely dominated that game. You know they should be built for that sort of thing, and they and they weren't. Um, what I think will be interesting about Buffalo is whether or not they can follow on from the second half that they had against Tampa Bay or whether or not that was just an anomalous performance and actually the Buffalo that we've seen over the past six weeks is the real Buffalo Bills. So I think that'll be the interesting challenge for <clears throat> for um, for Sean McDermott over the next uh, over the next few weeks. I, I'm not sure about Buffalo. I mean, everybody has bad luck. Everybody's injured. You go around the league and look at play, you know, well, that's the 49ers. You, you know, you look at the Packers, they lost Billy Turner. They're down to like the eighth string offensive line. They're still, you know, putting up 45 points. It's, um, you know, you look at the Rams and, you know, Jalen Ramsey's out of the game five hours before because of COVID and they're playing arguably the most explosive offense in the NFL and they still beat them on the road. So, you know, I I don't buy the the bad luck thing. I just don't think Buffalo have been very good in critical stretches um, and they were completely flat out coached by Bill Belichick and his coaches. At home a couple of weeks ago, yeah.
2: And as you can tell, we're trying to avoid talking about the New York Jets because why would we want to talk about the New York Jets? So we're talking a little NFL football here. Yeah, I was on a on a Bills podcast and listening to them. I couldn't help but but smile. They swear they have the worst offensive line in football, and I'm trying to tell them uh, I'm a Dolphin fan. I can tell you, you don't. <laughs> okay, no. but they I, they actually believe. I don't know your thoughts because. Coming into the season, it, it seemed to me and it seemed to most of us like, OK, this is a this is a uh, you know, this is a slog. We're going to have to chase down this team, this Bills team. I talked to the, I talked to 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 these guys from the Rock pile Report and they have their doubts on McDermott. And they know, you know, according to them, they have no running game and their offensive line is absolutely terrible because Josh Allen gets hit too much. What are your thoughts on this Bills team that was supposed to be our competition? We know for a fact they own us, which is odd because we seem to be very competitive with New England having won four out of the last five. But we know they own us. We know we have to overcome them. But they seem to be not only regressing, but at a crossroads, really, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, it comes down to inability to run the ball. I don't think their offensive line is is that bad at all. Um, they are just don't have a running back. They don't have a running game. You know, they're, they're, they're overly reliant on Josh Allen. Josh Allen takes so many hits because he has to do what he does to manipulate the pocket and and get outside and make plays with his feet. Because they can't establish the run. And when teams know that you can't establish the run, you know they they make it more difficult for you in the in the secondary, which is part of the part of the issue. Um, and I think you know some of the Bills players, some of the Bills big defensive players, notably Tremaine Edmonds have really struggled this year. You know, that 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 expected pass rush has kind of, you know, not really, you know, you look at the the with Gregory Rousseau and the kid from um the kid from Iowa, they've really struggled with it uh, with Epinatia to to threaten um to threaten quarterbacks. That's put an awful lot of pressure on Matt Milano, who's having another great year. They lost Tradavius White, who's you know, one of the best corners in the league. They got arguably alongside um alongside uh, the Green Bay pairing of Darnell Savage and Adrian Amos, the the best safety combo in the league with um, with Jordan Poyer and um, Micah Hyde. But yeah, I just, um, I mean, to hear Bills fans go, oh, we're not sure about McDermott. I mean, it's just like, come on, wake up. <laughs> like, he's one of the best coaches in the league. Um, you know, they just, Brandon Bean just needs to fix that offensive line, uh, not that offensive line, that running game. You know, and they'll be absolutely fine. They're just so one-dimensional. That's the problem. You know that, and that's the reason why they get into the situations they've been getting into because they just they can't. I mean, that game against Tampa Bay. I think they only ran the ball once in the. First, they didn't. Did they run the ball at all using a running back in the first half? I don't think that, they did.
2: They're running. Uh, they 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 gave a carry to their running back for the first time, with I believe 14 minutes left in the third quarter. Like yeah, that's I mean, not normal.
1: <laughs> that tells you exactly. <laughs> What you need to know, so yeah.
2: Yeah, so yeah, and moving on to the NFC. Uh well, now let's stay in the AC a little bit. I think it's 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 getting clearer by the day. Yeah, would it surprise you to learn, Simon, that the number one defense in the NFL is not the Miami Dolphins since week nine. Dolphins are actually third, which is not terrible. You know who's number one, right?
1: Yeah, the Chiefs.
2: Yes, they're back, right? Like uh, they're just waiting for Pat Mahomes to, to come up to speed, and they're making their third trip to the Super Bowl. Aren't they the best team in the AFC?
1: Um, I mean, I don't think their offense is – their offense still isn't very good. No. Uh, I don't think they were very good against the Raiders. You know, the Raiders were so abject that uh, it was almost like a mulligan. Um you know, Melvin Ingram has been such a huge pickup for them. He's played so well. You, know, you put Ingram and Chris Jones on the same side and early downs and their run game stunts and blitzes are just absolutely, you know, dominant. I, um, I, I you know, Ingram's contributions stopping the run have been absolutely huge, forcing teams into you know, getting behind the chains. Sean um, Jones moving happy. back
2: into to defensive tackle. Awesome, yeah, it's had
1: such a huge, and that's because of Ingram's allowed them to to do that. It's just been, um, it's just been massive. Um, I still don't think the offense is, you know, it, it's inconsistent with in the run game. It needs another receiver who can take the pressure off Tyreek Hill, um, Travis Kelsey, and, and what's then tending to happen is that Travis Kelsey's getting doubled as well because for whatever, um, and Mahomes is partly to blame for that in a way. Um, you know, he's almost become like he's almost ha- turned into the Aaron Rodgers of four years ago when he's you know was throwing off every platform and and trying to do it. Unnecessarily everything.
2: at times too.
1: <laughs> yeah, he's just you know the thing I the thing that worries me about the Chiefs is that they don't really have a basic offense in terms of a basic scheme. You know, you look at I hate to keep talking about the Packers, but you go and look at how Nathaniel Hackett has them schemed. They are schemed beautifully. You take the opposite end of the scale, of the Jacksonville Jaguars, and you look at their, you know, their route combinations and their schematics. they're, they're, they're horrendous. But I think Eric Bieniemy's struggling a little bit, and, and Mahomes is so good, and he can make every throw from everywhere that the, there's a base level of their offense that they almost have to mess around a bit for it to work, or for them to feel like they need to mess around for it to work. When actually that's not the case at all. Um, and I felt like they got back a, a little bit to that against the um, against the Raiders, but you know, like I said, that feels like a mulligan game because the Raiders were so bad.
2: Yeah, and moving on to the the NFC, the Cardinals are supposed to be the class, but there's one problem: they're playing for home field advantage, and they're absolutely horrific at home. They're seven and zero on the road with an average margin of victory in double digits. Simon, so if the cardinals come to town they're kicking your ass but if you're going to them you have a very good chance of beating them since they're 3 and 3 at home so yeah what do you make of that team cuz they're trying to play to you know to get more of those games at home against teams that theoretically are going to be good right and they're not very good at home like i don't understand that team but they got that was not that was not a competitive game against the against the Rams until very very late. It was two scores the entire way through. Uh, your thoughts on the NFC briefly before we move on to the Dolphins here?
1: Oh, no, I thought I, I I disagree. I thought it was a very competitive game. I thought that essentially uh, the interception to start the second half turned it from a back and forth. You score, we score. You score, we score into you score, we score, you score, we score, you score, you score game. Um, But to me, it's coaching. Cliff Kingsbury is just not an NFL-caliber coach. Um, He is not a... You know, uh, the the biggest decision in that game was you've got Matt Prater in that game who's kicked more 50-plus yard field goals than anybody in the NFL history. You have five and a half minutes to go. You have the ball inside Matt Prater territory and you let to go for it on fourth down. Down by 10 points, needing a field goal. You let it go for it on fourth down. Mistake one. Mistake two is that you run the ball on fourth and one using your running back and not the most uh explosive running quarterback in the NFL and Kylo Murray. I.e., you don't go five wides and say if your first option is not available, then just run it because you only need a yard. What you don't do is you you hand the ball off to James Connor. Who had a nice game as a receiver, but you don't hand it off to James Connor and, and run it straight up the middle into the strength of that defensive line, which is Aaron Donald and Greg Gaines, and expect to gain a yard. You kick the field goal there because what that did is it took all the air out of the stadium. Like the comeback, you know, they they had two more possessions after that. Um, it was just astonishing. They didn't kick the field goal, and then all of a sudden, you know, everybody's back into it. When they didn't go for it on four, when they didn't get it on fourth down, Everybody still knows that you need two possessions. The fans started leaving, therefore the atmosphere changes, and players are just like, "We're not gonna, we're not gonna do this. We're not gonna do this." If they kick the field goal, there they're down by seven points. They, they, the Rams then went three and out. They could have had the ball, drove down the field, and scored a touchdown. I mean, it's, I, I, I just don't think Cliff Kingsbury is a very good coach, and I think that's the reason that they'll, that they ultimately, because I think they're arguably the most talented team in the league i think there's a couple of other teams that are right up there we look at their roster from you know i don't think their run game is great but connor's excellent as a receiver but you look at their you know receiving options with green and hopkins and kirk and more Zacker's a tight end the offensive line is decent dj humphries has played well rodney hudson's been brilliant you know defensive line and linebackers your know, charlotte jones is great isaiah simmons is great david collins Marcus Golden is great. I mean, Zayvon Collins has barely played, to be honest. He's been benched, but Golden is a really good, underrated player. And then the secondary is great. Byron Murphy is one of the most, you know, underrated players in the league. Buda Baker, Jalen Thompson, Marco Wilson is playing well. They are a good kicking game. They were good special teams. I uh, just, you know, they're just they're, they're badly coached. Their head man is a bad coach. I think, you know, they have other good coaches, or, or, you know, as part of the team. But in terms of the actual, The front man i think um because i think james saxon and and sean jefferson and uh, and people like that are really good vance joseph brenton buckner's a great defensive line coach but yeah to me um they're being let down by by cliff kingsbury
2: Yeah, and the nfc is completely top heavy because um as an example the dolphins at six and seven would be in the playoffs already if if they were in the nfc uh
1: Dallas. Powerful conference, though. I think you look at Dallas, Yeah. you look at Green Bay. I mean, nobody wants to play Dallas in the playoffs. You know, Dallas could easily get to the Super Bowl. Arizona, great if team. If the
2: NFL games were 55 minutes, Dallas would win the Super Bowl.
1: Yeah, Green Bay, <laughs> a really good team. You know, nobody, nobody wants to face either Seattle if they get in or San Francisco in the playoffs because, you know, Garoppolo is limited, but they can run the ball. They can play defense. That front seven is really good. Um, you know, if Debo Samuel and Kittle are healthy, nobody wants that. Nobody wants to face Russell Wilson in the playoff. Absolutely nobody wants to play Russell Wilson in the playoffs. Um, you know, Minnesota have got as much talent as anybody in the league. They're just, they're, they're another badly coached team. Um, I think the NFC is really, obviously Tampa Bay look like they're hitting their stride. Looks like Tampa Bay and Kansas City are hitting their stride at kind of the right time. Mm-hmm. Um, you're always looking for a team that starts late November, early December to start picking up wins you know with that's got talent and i think those two are you know two teams that could really could really make a push but i think you know there's going to be some classic playoff you know Dallas going to green bay Arizona going to tampa bay you know that could be the final four in the in the nfc and you know that's that's a couple of monster matchups you know yeah
2: tampa bay that offense they do whatever they want to do when they want to do it and they're capable in almost any situation from behind ahead because they run the ball well, they throw the ball well, they throw it in in all parts of the field well, they throw it deep well, they throw it intermediate well, and they don't run out of they don't run out of options. When you have Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, and now Rob Gronkowski. That guy retired. Like why did he retire? <laughs> he's one of the best tight ends in football again.
1: Once yeah, again, I mean, he's um the the fascinating thing about Gronkowski is that what what Bruce Arians is doing is essentially what Bill Belichick was doing which is just let him rest up for for most of the regular season because you know you get into the playoffs and then you can just bring him in the running game works in part because it's so well blocked up run but he's such a good he's still such a good blocker he's still yeah. such a good in-line blocker and he's uncoverable as a receiver i thought Dane Jackson actually played him really well on sunday but he's he's so difficult to cover he's so physical he's such a big body such a wide load he's got such a great relationship in terms of understanding with Tom Brady that he's so difficult to play against and there's not a player there's not a player in the league that can match up against him you know he can just box out defenders you can't play linebackers against him because he's just too nuanced and and corners just he just out physicals them or DBs Um, so yeah they are um, Tampa Bay are scary good
2: yeah, him and and, and George Kittle, uh, that's the class at tight end. When people talk about Gasecki is not this, he's not that, they're essentially saying that Mike Gasecki is not George Kittle or Rob Gronkowski. That's what they're saying, because Gasecki's of this class of every other tight end, which refuses to block and is kind of one dimensional, but it's a good dimension. Now, getting there, uh, Mike Gasecki has disappeared, Simon. I don't know. Are you aware where he is or? Because it's been a while since he's had a game for, for this
1: team. Yeah. I mean, I, the the drop touchdown, the one that hit him in the helmet was, you know, I think he's had an up and down year actually, which is good in a way. I think he's going to, it makes for a very interesting decision for the Dolphins um, in terms of whether or not they, the, you know, they keep him or whether or not they they let him walk. Um, because essentially what you're paying for is a, a and also part of it is going to be the classification of whether or not, you know, him and his agent are clearly going to push for, for him being paid as a wide receiver, because he plays so, I think it's, I think I read yesterday something like 96% of his snaps to come out wider in the slot. You know, he plays very, 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 very infrequently in line. Um, so do you pay that, you know, I think it's 21 million. The, the, um, the, the fee, if you, if you franchise him is 21 million for a wide receiver, I think it's 11 million for a tight end. You know, that's two hugely different um
2: I can promise uh, you that they're gonna fight pretty hard to tag him as a tight end.
1: Oh, of course. And every team in the league will want to pay him as a tight end, you know. So I think he's gonna but but whether or not the Dolphins feel like he's worth, you know, because he does so little inline blocking. Um, but he's also a critical part of the offense. But you know, I think Mike Gasicki would work will work better when there are better options at wide receiver and there's a running game. Um, you know, because it just makes you know, defenses just need to key on Gasicki and on and on Waddle. Really, if Parker's back, then obviously that's different. But, um, you know, you can roll safeties over the top and it makes it much more difficult. And the Dolphins, like I think the Dolphins have done well, actually. I think George Godsey's done a decent job over the past five, six weeks. The, the frustrating thing, and you look at some of the teams, who was I watching the other night that that lined, oh, it was the Bears who lined Darnell Mooney or Demir Bird up in the backfield. When Bird scored the long touchdown against the Packers. And it's like, we don't really do that with, you know, the 49ers lining George Kittle up in the backfield just to get matchups. Um, you know, the, the what the Bears did was line, was move Bird from the outside to the slot to the backfield on the same play. And then they got the matchup that they wanted against Henry Black, the linebacker, and they were able to score a touchdown. That's what creative offensive coordinators do. I think Godsey, like I said, has done a good job. But you'd like to see, you know, Jalen Waddle, I think, is in motion more than any receiver in the league. But you'd like to see him line up in different Because the reason why they're in motion is, is twofold. One, it's to get a match up. Two, or threefold, actually. One, it's to get a match up. Two, it's to get Waddle going in terms of, you know, his get up speed is already quick, but he's already moving. You know, it gives him an even bigger advantage. But three, it gives two of the opportunity when, when there's a motion man, when there's a you know, movement to see what the defense is. Um, so I, I think lining, getting Waddle up in the backfield and just getting him on linebackers um, would be great. Just getting him moving around a bit more and, and those sorts of things. But I think it's an interesting decision for the dolphins as to, you know, I would pay Gasicky, but I wouldn't pay him as a wide receiver. He's a tight end. Um, and that's what he should be paid as.
2: Yeah, I completely agree. Um, one thing that we can say about, about this team. Well, what we could say about Tua Tungvaloa is he's playing well, and he has been playing well for a few weeks, and he's been throwing to essentially nobody. He's been throwing to Waddle and Gusecki, and not to Gusecki too much the last few weeks. He just finished getting Parker back. He uh, Tu has been elevating these guys, and when I mean these guys, I'm talking about the Isaiah Fords of the world and the Matt Collins of, of the world. He's elevated them. Uh, is this you know you, you almost hate to say say this but are they like learning maybe to invest their dollars their skill player dollars into maybe running back or maybe using some of those dollars on tackles and not necessarily going after high price talent at wide receiver because their quarterback seems to elevate most of what they put in out there for him
1: I think he elevates them in the short and intermediate areas. I'm not sure anything more than that, because I'm not sure he's he's that kind of guy. Um, I think what will be interesting is that I, 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 if it was me, I would be spending my free agent money on the offensive line. Um, and then I would look at, you know, receiver talent in the draft and running back talent in the draft. It's a very good running back class. It's a much more underrated class than people are giving credit for. You know, that you can you could pick 10 or 12 guys that you think, you know, would, you would not take a chance on because you don't need to take a chance on these guys, but there are, you know, 10 or 12 running backs where you think actually this guy could, you know, could be a difference maker, whether that's, you know, right at the top end with, with an uh, Isaiah Spiller or Zach Charbonnet or Brian Robinson, Alabama, Brees Hall, Um, bit of a separation then to, to people like Kenneth Walker and, Devonta Price at Florida International, and, and then you've got the kind of the Mars gaskin type back in Kyron in Williams and James Cook, obviously Dalvin Cook's brother. Um, Damian Pierce at Florida, Rashad White Arizona State, Zamir White at Georgia. Um, you know, Jerome Ford at Cincinnati, a really good player. I mean, these are all starting backs at the next level. You know, you look at the Oklahoma kids, Kennedy Brooks and Eric Gray, these are RPO uh, running backs. So I, you could easily see the Dolphins double dip on on backs, Tyler Allegier of BYU. Um, you know, you could see them go a second rounder and a, and a sixth rounder to, to, to do that sort of thing. Uh, and then, you know, you're looking at wide receivers, whether you go early with receivers, with a, a Lave or a Jameson Williams or a Garrett Wilson or, Again, same situation. You go down the train on Burks, Johan Dotson, David Bell, Mechie coming off the ACL. I suspect John Mechie will go back to school, but Jalen Tolbert at South Alabama, Alec Pierce at Cincinnati, George Pickens at Georgia, Anea Smith at Texas A&M, Ezard at Sam Houston State. There's a lot of, you know, a lot of receiving talent in the draft. I, I think they've got to sort out the offensive line because when it comes to the draft, they're going to be in a position or they won't be in a position to take one of the top two guys, Charles Cross at Mississippi State and Evan Neal of of Alabama. And then after that, you're in a bit of a situation because I think probably the next two cabs off the rank, as it were, are, are probably certainly left tackle, are probably going to be Trevor Penning at Northern Iowa uh, and then Bernard, Ry- Bernard Ryman, the Austrian uh, from Central Michigan. Uh, and I think they're projects, and I don't think the Dolphins need another project at left tackle. So I think, you know, we look at the the names. Teron Armstead is the is the 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 guy, and you look at some of the more veteran tackles in the league. Jason Peters at four, you know, 39. Andrew Whitworth at 40, you know, Dwayne Brown, late 30s, still playing at a high level. You know, as Teron Armstead being the wrong side of 30, even in the early 30s, I don't think is an issue. Health is obviously a bit of an issue. And then you look at, you know, is an Eric Fisher a stopgap? Is a Dwayne Brown, who's played well? Is he a stopgap? You know, it's a shame about George fan who's played brilliantly at left tackle. The Jets, obviously, you know, still two years to go on his contract. So, uh, but I think you've got to invest. You know, Ryan Jensen at centre, you know, he's 31, but do the Buccaneers let him go? If they do, that's the sort of player that you want. Because you kind of feel like they're... It feels like two of the five spots are going to stay the same in terms of the personnel. So Eichenberg, they traded up for him in the second round. He's going to get a shot to start probably at right tackle. Rob Hunt feels like the best player on the offensive line. They're going to, you know, almost certainly right guard and right tackle feel like they're probably set in stone from next year center obviously a big issue do they draft a center like Tyler Lindebaum does, does Lindebaum even get there quite frankly and even if he does at 297 pounds he's just that's the sort of weight that the Dolphins will look and go oh no actually we'll stick with Michael Dieter mm-hmm. even though Lindebaum to me is the best center to come out since Travis Frederick um so you know and I I love Creed Humphrey and I have I have him above Creed Humphrey and Humphreys arguably the best center in the league at the moment yes he yeah along with the kid in the Chargers who's at Green Bay. Um, and McCoy. So,
2: McCoy for New Orleans. Yeah, McCoy's he could shake McCoy. free. He could shake free. New Orleans has cap issues. Yeah, so. I,
1: I, I can't see that happening. I can't see that happening. Um, I think that... If it does, um, it's a
2: thought, right?
1: Oh, of course. Of course. So left guard, obviously Austin Jackson. I, I don't think they're ready to give up on Austin Jackson. And I actually don't think they're ready to give up on Austin Jackson as a left tackle. I think he's so young. He's so inexperienced, he needs weight work, he needs footwork work, he needs technique work. But I don't think at 22, they're ready to give up on him yet because he's the sort of player that, you know, you look at Billy Turner, you know, starting right tackle, starting right guard for the the Packers has been really solid. Dolphins probably gave up a bit too early on Billy Turner. You don't want to make the same mistake with Austin Jackson, but you also don't want to be in a situation where you're keeping people hanging over and starting when they're not good enough. Uh, And that's the concern for me moving forwards because they've got these players that they've invested high picks in who are underperforming. Do they feel, you know, are they just going to get rid of them or are they going to keep them around and feel like they have to play them because they've invested high picks in them? And I kind of feel like it's the latter. That's what they're going to do. And therefore that lessens. So so really what you're looking at is center and left and left tackle. And maybe they'll get to the end of the year and go, oh, Michael, it's okay. We don't need another center. So then really all it becomes is left tackle. And all you're doing next year is it's Teron Armstead. Austin Jackson, Michael Dieter, Rob Hunt, Liam Eichenberg, And that that line hasn't really improved. I mean, obviously it's improved because, because of um, Armstead. But, I, I, you know, it, it also coaching. You know, coaching is such a, you know, such a massive issue. The Dolphins are not well coached on the offensive line. Um, no, they're not than that. So that would be a, a huge concern. A huge concern. You know, how much better can an Eichenberg, a Dieter... Um, Hunt and a Jackson get with proper Bill Callahan, um, you know, that kind of, um, that kind of level of quality coaching, uh, you know, an Andy Heck or uh, those sorts of guys. And and that's the question I think that people need to answer.
2: Yeah. What they they got to answer for is how they took by almost every metric an average to mediocre run game and made it the worst in the NFL. Like, you know, how do you do that? How is that possible? They had a run game last year that was capable of just popping up every once in a while and being effective. They ran for 250 yards against the, against the Patriots. Uh, They ran for almost 160 against the, I I believe it was against the Raiders. So yeah, you know, they got to answer for that. They got to figure out what they want to do with the running game. Obviously they changed the entire run game around to a more zone scheme, but they have the wrong players to run that scheme. Speaking of running backs, they're all on, on the COVID list, Simon. Not that it matters because none of them have been any good <laughs> this year, but they're all on the COVID list. They're all vaccinated, so they got to test clean twice, 24 hours apart, and they'll be ready to play. It's uh, Supposedly, Javon Holland is also on the list, but he he's assuring everybody he's playing because he's asymptomatic, and I believe he's already tested clean once on the running back spot like what what are they doing like what would you do Uh, right now they have one guy on the roster Duke johnson
1: yeah i'd bring jared dokes up from the practice squad Duke johnson dokes and i suspect you'll get one of of gaskin or ahmed back um probably both quite frankly but i'd be bringing you know i would imagine jared dokes is getting a, a fair you know level of uh carries uh this week uh i mean if he isn't then something's Really badly wrong coaching wise. I mean, I know they brought four backs in to have a look at the other day, including Lamar Miller, um, Dexter Williams, but they didn't sign any of them. And um, I, I think Dokes would be the guy that I would turn to, quite frankly, um, in that situation. You'd probably want to add another back because um, you don't have the benefit of a Lynn Bowden. If you know if things go really bad, you know if a couple of guys get injured, you know um, you really want that kind of cushion of somebody you can kind of. Um, Fill in if knee, you know if Dokes gets hurt. You don't really want to be running, the, you know, running the ball the entire game against um uh, with Duke Johnson as your running back But um, yeah, that's what I do. I, and I kind of feel like, you know, let's see what you, you kind of want to know what he is. You know, it, it, they're keeping him around for a reason. Well, if he's any good, let's, you know, let's see what you're made of. You know, oh, actually, they signed Dexter Williams. I see. So. Hmm. Yeah, so this uh, wouldn't surprise me if both Williams and um, Duke Johnson got called up. Uh, Jared Dokes got called up. I mean,
2: yeah, they bring up. I guess the the drawback is that they're thinking they bring up Jared Dokes, they expose him to the league when they when they dump him back down. He's going to get poached, but you know, you drafted him in the seventh round. Like that usually happens. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I don't know. I don't know what you're trying to save there. All right, they're playing the Jets. They're at home. The Jets are starting Zach Wilson, or Zach Cal Wilson, as you like to refer to him. He hasn't been good this year. They don't have Elijah Moore. They're an injured mess on offense, really. Their defense is kind of healthy. Quinnen Williams is not injured. He will play. So last week, when, when he went down in a heap, evidently he finished the game, and he's going to play this week. So their defense is going to be relatively healthy. Dolphins take care of business this week.
1: Yeah, I think, you know, it always worries me coming off the bar when you've had that impetus of the last five weeks. But yeah, it wouldn't surprise me uh, if this is, I mean, this should be comfortable. If the Dolphins have got any ambition of making the playoffs, this needs to be a comfortable win to the point where, you know, in an ideal world, you can rest some of the stars down the stretch. You know, you're you're up against Zach Wilson. You know, they've not played Wilson, which is the interesting thing. Um, I think they'll confuse him. I think there will, you know, there'll be blitzes. You, you really want... um you really want Holland back and healthy because he he really makes that tick on the back end. But yeah, you know, missing, a, you look at the players that they're missing, you know, in terms of, you know, Corey Davis and Mackay Becton and Michael Carter and, you know, Bryce Huff and Lawson, obviously that we know about, but Elijah Moore and Marcus May gone as well. I mean, that's, you know, that's a lot of, um, that's a lot of talent on the sideline. And, you know, I think, I think we've got more than enough to keep them, you um, to keep them in check. And I, you know, thirty-five, ten, Miami kind of thing. That's how I'm feeling it. All right.
2: Yeah, I'm, I'm right there with you. Uh, I'm more like 30, 13, something like that. But yeah, they take care of business and they move on. And then the following week, big one in New Orleans on a Monday night and we will talk about it. But till then.
1: Thanks for listening to 3 Yards Per Caddy. You can subscribe via iTunes, on Podbean, or your usual podcast provider.